I feel like looks best on my resume is I've got, I've been very fortunate. I've got to meet and befriend and often work with many of my heroes. You know, I'm in a band with Stuart Copeland for Christ's sakes, and he's one of my best friends now. I mean, that's mind boggling. That's Les Claypool, best known as the co-founder of the rock band Primus, talking about his many musical collaborations. Les talks about his musical influences and the return of his fearless flying frog brigade on this episode of Behind the Set List. Welcome to Behind the Set List, the podcast where artists tell the stories about the songs they perform live. I'm Jay Gilbert from Label Logic. And I'm Glenn Peoples from Billboard. In this episode, we talked to Les Claypool. Jay, the last time I saw Les on stage was a Primus show at Bonnaroo, I think in 2016. The band was in fine form. They sounded amazing, and they're incredible musicians. And there's nobody like Les Claypool. When you hear Les Claypool in song, you know it's him. He's that unique. He sure is. One thing I love about him is it's good to see that people still love oddball funny music. Primus and all of Les's projects have a sense of humor, and he's just a weirdo, yeah. and I mean that in the best possible sense. Yeah. And before we started recording, you and I were talking about what other weird bands are out there that are popular, because Les has been able to prove that people have a sense of humor and they like weird music. Mm -hmm for decades and then you know we came up with a pretty small list i think yeah, yeah maybe frank zappa and a, and a few others where there are quality musicians but that that fun that weirdness you know les is an incredible musician like you said he's best known for co-founding the band primus of course but he's been involved in a lot of side projects oysterhead that's a collaboration with uh, trey anastasio from fish and Stuart copeland of the police uh, the Claypool Lennon Delirium with Sean Lennon, John Lennon's son. Colonel Claypool's Bucket of Bernie Brains with Bernie Morelli and Buckethead. And the band he's currently touring with, Colonel Claypool's Fearless Flying Frog Brigade. The Frog Brigade is on tour for the first time since 2003, and that extends through July 15th. And then the band picks it up again in Riverside, California in October, and it ends up in Nashville at the beautiful Ryman Auditorium on October 31st. The band is playing Pink Floyd's album Animals in its entirety in the sets. Les talks about that during the interview. So without further ado, here's Les Claypool behind the set list. Let it roll. Let's kick it off and, you know, you're touring with the Fearless Frog Brigade right now. Tell us how that band first came together a couple of years ago uh the fearless flying frog brigade uh actually it didn't come together a couple of years ago it came together like 20 some odd years ago i thought i said decades did i not say decades damn i thought you said days but my, you know these connections kind of are a little glitchy <laughs> so uh um basically after i did the oyster head thing all of a sudden i was in demand as one of these guys that could could wrangle musicians together for uh for these jam events and uh i was asked by michael bailey who used to run the mountain air festival which was the big bgp event back in the day to put together something for his event so i got uh 
Um, I hadn't played with Tim Alexander in a long while because he had left Primus and my buddy Jack Irons. Uh, so I had two drummers, uh, Herb and Jack Irons. And then I got my buddy Merv on guitar and Skerrick on sax. And I was going to call it the Thunder Brigade because we had two two drummers. And Michael Bailey was like, you know, it's already a little odd that to the, the to the jam scene that, you know, the Primus guy is going to come in here and Thunder Brigade might just be a little too heavy handed. So because it was in Calaveras County, I thought of, well, the jumping frog of Calaveras County, uh, you know, a la Mark Twain. And it became the Frog Brigade. So that's how it all started. You know, your your style of playing is is so identifiable. The moment you hear, uh, you know exactly that that's Les Claypool playing. And I had read that... And you switched the channel. No. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was the that was the biggest delay wow. in, in the reaction. Well, when you, when you said switch the channel, <laughs> timing, 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 timing. When you said switch the channel, I'm thinking my recorder here, like the channel just switched, and you, you know, I was like panicking, and then I went, oh, okay, he's crank. Don't you remember the days of actually switching the channel on me? You know, yes. we're, I think we're, we're we're all in the era where we can remember when televisions used to actually go clunk, yes. clunk, clunk, yes. switch them. Yeah, I grew up in that era where it was a manual. You had to get up off the couch, walk over. I think there were only three stations right then, and then something called UHF, which nobody really understood what that was. But uh... yes, but I loved UHF because <laughs> I could watch my creature feature movies. Ah, there you go. Mine didn't have anything, unfortunately. So... I read that you were influenced growing up by Larry Graham uh, from Sly and the Family Stone, which makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and also Stanley Clark. Talk about, you know, growing up, learning to play the instrument, developing your style. What kind of records were you listening to? What were you uh, playing in those days? Well, I really had no money. So um, my record collection kind of sucked. And I joined one of those RCA clubs where you could get six albums for a right. penny and then send you some horrible album once a month. And if you didn't send it back in time, you owed them money for it. <laughs> so um, I didn't have a lot of records, but you know, when I started off, it was, it was guys like Getty Lee and Chris Squire and John Paul Jones. And then, and I worshiped Getty. Um, and there was nobody greater. And my first concert was Rush Hemispheres. Wow. And then I had a buddy who had so many records. He literally, his, his walls and his ceiling were, wallpapered with the album covers we'd just go to his house and sit around and listen to records and so he said you know Les, you keep talking about getty and getty's great blah 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 but you need to listen to some larry graham so i was like all right so he played me some larry graham and some stanley clark and i had seen lewis johnson on um don kirshner's rock concert so i was already going holy shit i need to do some of that thumping and plucking you know a lot of these you know, nowadays they say slap bass, and it's that's not what it is. Uh, you know, Larry Graham. I saw Larry Graham play, and he talks all about thumping and plucking. It was thumping and plucking. Slap bass is what the guys do on the upright, which I can't even do. A buddy of mine, he's a ripping slap player on the upright, and you're literally slapping the bass and popping it, and that's slap bass. But for some reason, it's been bastardized. But Larry Graham is the guy who should get the credit for this. And he always called it the thumping and the plucking. And when we were learning it, that's what we called it, thumping. We'd say, oh, we're going to, I'm thumping right now. So, you know, one of the things I've always loved about your music and whichever of the 48 projects you've, you're working on is there's this 
psychedelic absurdist quality to it. And where did that aspect of your music come from? I do have to say I'm enjoying that you're talking into a giant jujube. That's what it looks like from my computer. <laughs> um, uh, the psychedelic, I'm sorry, I, I was so obsessed with the jujube. What was the question again? The the absurdist, comical, far out nature of your music. I mean, you know, both Larry and I were, have always been huge fans of British comedy. You know, whenever, whenever we'd tour Europe, we go to London. The first thing we would do is go to Tower Records and buy up every everything that had Adrian Edmondson and Rick May all on it. All the the midnight comic strips, all the young ones, all the Black Adders, um, you know, Bottoms, all that stuff. And so, you know, and the way my family has always been, uh, especially starting with my grandfather, we never, you know, there was a lot of addiction and stuff in my family and alcoholism. And the way we always dealt with things was with humor. So it's always been a big part of my life. And also just the notion that, you know, with Primus, we all, you know, I, I always knew that we could wiggle our fingers pretty well, you know, we could do these things technically that, you know, weren't necessarily considered cool in the punk world. Um, so it, there was a lot of, so the sort of self-deprecating element to Primus, hence the whole Primus sucks thing. So, uh, I don't know. It's, it, it, I've always been attracted to, to that, that's that sort of element i never really considered myself a singer back in the day because i couldn't my dad would literally tell me he's like you know you can't sing for shit but you can sure play that bass so <laughs> i always felt i was the narrator i always you know I, I i i i remember when i met chuck d he was like man you sound like mr magoo and shit and i thought that was the greatest compliment and i've been called like the mel blank of of rock back in the day i'm, I'm doing more singing now uh as, as i got more confident in my voice voice doing frog brigade and whatnot but in the early days it was all about just going into some sort of character and growing up listening to a lot of country music and stuff where there was always these fables and these and these stories within the songs i've always been attracted to that so i don't know i don't know if i answered your question i kind of danced around it a bit but um uh, that's sort of where the 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 the, the storytelling telling element and the humorous element. As far as psychedelic, we used to just smoke a lot of weed and, and you know take hallucinogens for our New Year's shows. So uh, yeah, I think it was, you know we have a record called Frizzle Fry for Christ's sake, you know. So uh, yeah, it, it's just sort of seeped into that way. And then also doing the stuff with Sean, you know Sean Lennon. That's uh, our whole trip is 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 very psychedelic. Yeah. So talk about your equipment just uh, for a moment. I, I noticed you, you use a, a piccolo bass and you have your, you know, these Carl Thompson basses. Talk about why you use those instruments and, and what is a piccolo bass and why, why would you use like your six string fretless? Uh, talk a little bit about your equipment. Well, I stumbled across the Carl Thompson many years ago. I had a, um, you know, the base of my dreams was always a Rickenbacker 4001. You know, guess what Getty played? That's what Chris Guire played. And then when I went, when I finally had some money to go buy one, I got talked into getting an Ibanez Musician EQ by the guy at the store. Because he's like, oh, no, you can't thump on those. And I was like, oh, shit. So I got this Ibanez Musician EQ. But then I went back and hung out at the store one day, and I stumbled across this Carl Thompson. And I remember 
Stanley Clark, I want to play for you. He had this picture of all his bases laid out and he had a handful of Carl Thompson's. And this was a piccolo base. It just happened to be a piccolo base, which meant it was shorter scale and, and lots of frets. Mm. And and I bought this thing. I begged and borrowed and pleaded and borrowed, you know, got money from various people, including my mother, and went and bought this thing. And I just that was just my base forever, you know, it looked like a hunk of driftwood and and people either loved the look of it or hated the look of it, but it was definitely a very unique instrument. But I have since retired that instrument from the road just because A, it's a very precious thing to me but b i also designed my own instrument which is more of a cross between various instruments including carl thompson's but i wanted something that fit me especially as i'm getting older and you know i want the ergo thing I, and and my bases they're like they're these pachyderm bases they're like ferraris they're very player friendly and very ergonomic um so that's what i'm using now as far as the six string and i actually I have a, a Carl Thompson six string fretless that I've used for many years. And I, I only really use it in the studio now. Cause I just, it's such a precious instrument. I don't want to take it out on the road and subject it to all the, the mm-hmm. uh, harshness and the, um, and the vulnerability of it being on the road. So now I have a Pachyderm six string fretless that I use, but um, they're, they're, they're instruments that are tailored for me. Got it. You know, something you said earlier, Les, that, that stood out because I've, I've wanted to ask you about your collaborations is that you had got this reputation as a person who could wrangle other musicians. And so what is it about Les Claypool that makes you such a popular, popular collaborator? There's a musicianship. People want to play with you. And then there must be there must be. It's obviously my sex appeal and my incredible wit. <laughs> you know, that's that's really what it what it boils down to. People like working with you. Is is it the sex appeal and, and the humor? Yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I mean, uh, to be serious, uh, I don't know what it is. And that's, to me, that's been the greatest thing about my career. And that's what I'm most proud of. And that's what I feel like looks best on my resume is I've got, I've been very fortunate. I've got to meet and befriend and often work with many of my heroes you know i'm in a band with Stuart copeland for christ's sakes and he's one of my best friends now i mean that's mind-boggling you know i got to play with the rush guys just recently at the south park thing i got to surprise matt stone by bringing getty and alex out matt had no idea playing closer to the heart in front of ten thousand people or whatever the hell it was that's an amazing thing you know having a band with bernie warrell when he was around was incredible we're, we're on tour right now adrian blue and jerry harrison are supporting us and Adrian's an old dear friend and he's and I watched him play last night and it and it just reminded me he's one of the greatest guitarists ever and he's out there having the time of his life and smiling it up and uh, these are just wonderful things I don't uh, I don't know what appeals to them about me um I'm hoping that it's because I'm a f- fairly nice guy <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I I kind of know my way around my instrument, but yeah. I, I I just like I, I for me, variety is the spice of life, and I and I love doing these these projects when I can. Yeah. Talk about improvisation. How much of your set uh, varies night by night, and how much of it maybe do you stick? Like uh, you know, maybe on the Pink Floyd Animals section, it seems like that you're sticking a little bit closer to the script, but how much can you improvise? Well, the, the animal thing is full blown script, you know, 
Um, as far as on the other Frog Brigade material, we're imp improvising quite a bit. You know, unfortunately, Skarek didn't make this run. I don't know if you know who Skarek is, but Skarek's our insane sax player. People have called him the Jimi Hendrix of sax, but they're wrong. He's the Adrian Ballou of sax because he just gets these insane sounds, but he hurt his back and he hasn't been able to be on this trip. So I was a little concerned, but... Um, Shiner, Sean Lennon's on guitar. He's stepped up. And actually, Harry Waters is unbelievable. It's really been exciting to watch Harry blossom as a soloist because, you know, you never see that. When he plays with his father, he's playing the parts and he's sticking to the script. But I've got him, you know, I've got him out there flashing his pecker around. I mean, I want him to, I want him to, 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 to jump out there and, 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 and go for it. And he's been doing it. And it's really amazing to see because he's a, He's an incredible player. And then Mike Dillon, has, he never lets, <laughs> lets me down. That guy's on fire. So it's really, uh, we're doing quite a bit of improv on this. Um, and in the fall, we've decided that we're having so much fun and we want to play more. We're, we decided in the fall we're not going to bring any, any um, support, no opening act, because we want to play more material and stretch even further. And hopefully Scarrick will be with us when we do that run. Yeah, it's a it's a really diverse set. We were looking at the June third set. You start off with King Crimson. You have some Prague Brigade. You have some Claypool Lennon Delirium. Less Claypool and the Holy Mackerel. Um, it, it looks like kind of a greatest hits of your career. Would that be accurate? It pretty much is. Um, you know when when there was talk of me doing frog brigade again, there, there's, there was a big interest in us going out and doing the, the animals thing, because a lot of people that was 20 some odd years ago, a lot of people didn't get to see it. And, and there's a lot of people that were children when that came out, young children. So that are at these shows now. So that's been great, but I didn't want to just stick with that, that era of, of my career and hence bringing in, Sean and 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 Harry and 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 Mike Dillon and Paulo because Mike Dillon and Paulo have been throughout various portions of of Frog Brigade, Fancy Band, whatever the hell you want to call it, just my solo stuff. Um, so it is a great way for us to be able to dip into other things, you know, bring in some of the Delirium stuff and you know doing Tomorrow Never Knows once in a while and and whatnot. How do you go about putting together? Uh, this this set list. I noticed there were a couple of songs like Highball with the Devil uh, that wasn't included. Um, but is it based on maybe the tunings of instruments? How do you kind of put everything uh, together? And are you the one that actually crafts the playlist or the set list? Yeah, I write the, I write the list for, for pretty much all the bands, except for uh, Oysterhead's kind of a democratic... Uh, procedure um well we played highball last night so it just depends on, oh you did yeah it just depends on the evening you know and that's part of the reason why we want to do a longer set in the fall is because after doing animals there's really only room for six or seven of my tunes and um we want to play more <laughs> so we'll see if people actually want that or not but they're going to get it whether they want it or not. We did a show. We we didn't have an opener uh, last week or the week before. I can't, I can't remember where the hell we were, but we were in between bands. We had Fishbone at the beginning of the tour, which was unbelievable. Um, and then um, 
we were in between and we had to do an evening with and it was it was great and we didn't even take a set break but the drummers did a, a whole big percussion thing that was mind-blowing so that's that's what's put this notion into my head of let's let's go out in the fall and just uh wear everybody down with with uh with our material <laughs> an abundance you mentioned that that some people were really young when you know the the album came out and you were touring years ago so you you come back on the road when you look out into the crowd or or maybe meet fans before or after the show who's your audience these days young old primus fans from way back who've stuck around with you um, it's it's very diverse you know it's funny because there's definitely there there's there's a there's a contention of primus fans that want to come and see this stuff there's uh you know i see oysterhead t-shirts out there um but there's also a there's there's an element of people that aren't necessarily primus fans that like the frog brigade stuff like the hmm. the fancy band stuff because it's it's not as aggressive so, you know, it's it's not a huge faction, but there are people that 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 I've stumbled across over the years that prefer. It tends to be women, um, but um, yeah, I, I I I don't know. As far as as far as the crowd, it's funny because going back to the notion of how young people were when some of those records came out, I had forgotten, and my son brought it up the other day. He's like, "Oh, you're playing David McAllister. I love that song. That's I that's my." I, because he didn't grow up on Primus because Primus was on hiatus when he was first starting to go to shows with us. First Frog Brigade show, he was like three years old running around backstage chasing this hippie guy with a hose. You know, one of the guys that was working backstage, they were, you know, having a squirt gun war with this damn hose. And that's what he remembers. That's what he grew up on. You know, when Primus came along, that was after he had already experienced his dad as the, you know, soloist guy solo band guy nice and even oysterhead i remember when we were recording oysterhead the kids were pretty little but they were aware whereas primus wasn't even around at that point well Les, we're running out of time but before we let you go i wanted to ask you about your winery in uh, sonoma county and and your wine talk about how you uh, got into that well um i used to smoke a lot of the marijuana bush and it got to the point where I felt like it was adversely affecting my memory and I didn't want to not remember what my kids were like when they were little. So I decided to stop. So I kind of stopped <laughs> and I needed advice. And I live in West Sonoma County and some of the greatest wines in the world come, the Pinots come from our area. So like living in Hollywood, who, who, you know, who comes to your barbecues is people in the, in the industry. Well, where I live, who comes to your barbecues is it's coopers, it's vineyard managers, it's winemakers, the people in the industry because it's so big where we are. And so we got into these Pinots and one day me and a couple of friends said, oh, you know, we're spending so much money on Pinot, we should make our own wine, it'll be cheaper, which was the stupidest thing I've ever said in my life because it's fucking outrageously expensive. But it's been a wonderful thing for my wife because she was super mom, you know, her whole world evolved around the kids and now the kids have moved out and she's the winery is her deal. And it's basically, it's just an excuse for us to have a cool place to hang out. You know, we got this giant 20 foot wiener. We, we make these gourmet wieners and you can have wine and wieners. And it's, I hang out there all the time, you know, just cause it's a fun spot. And this is in Sebastopol. 
Correct. Nice. Yeah. You know, just so our listeners know, it's not that you are just slapping your name on somebody else's product. You started a business and are running this business. My wife is running the business. <laughs> yeah. A lot of musicians put their name on, you know, from spirits to wine to just about anything. But um, you started this as a business, what, about 15 years ago? Uh, 07 was our first vintage. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, everything I do is a, it's for me, like these bases we're making and we're supposed to be selling them. We sell them once in a while. They're insanely expensive, but I'm making them for me. And I usually end up keeping them because I like, ah, I'm not going to sell that one because I want to keep it, but they're made for me because that's, I need this thing to be a certain way for me to deal with it. We make this wine the way we do. We have we're very fortunate to have this amazing winemaker named Ross Cobb. And that's the only where we have cellar palette. That's what we like to drink. So, you know, even making the wieners, it's like I made these wieners. My kids each, each, um, each uh, uh, developed one. You know, we each have our, you know, we did one for my grandfather, the Papa Simone. But these are things that I personally enjoy and they just happen to be out there for others. So, um, even the CPOP thing, I do this soda thing. It was because I, I had ruptured my inner ear scuba diving years ago, and I like to be on the ocean. But every now and again, it kicks my ass and makes me feel sick. So I developed this soda years ago with my son that's good for motion sickness. And so it's all it's all, it's all all self-serving. Even you know, the music. I I don't put out anything that I, that I don't want to listen to. You know, I don't write music. I, whenever I tried to write music, when the record company would go, hey, how about some songs for the radio or whatever I, it just sounded like shit you know <laughs> i don't know how to write write for other people <laughs> i mean you know i've done some soundtrack stuff but even then it's it's all twisted it's my shit yeah. you know les thanks so much for joining us today really appreciate it um looking forward to seeing the show it looks like a lot of fun from the videos that i've seen so far um thanks again for talking with us yeah it's been incredible i've, I've been i'm really I'm amazed, actually, how quickly this band has has pulled together and the chemistry that it's that it's that's oozing from its pores. <laughs>